listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On the Road is proudly brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving level crossing safety through engineering, innovation and education. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. And NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. G'day and welcome back to episode 83 of On The Road. We've got another big show for you this week, kicking off with Mike and Chris Rowe paying respect to the giants of the transport industry who were fighting for the rights of truckies at Razorback Mountain and elsewhere, can you believe it, 43 years ago. We chat with Aussie singer-songwriter Sarah Leet about her life on the land and her new single, which we'll play for you, along with more great music later in the show from Andrew Swift and Cass Hopton. Later on in Something to Talk About, Mike reveals one man's recommendations on how men can face challenges in the modern world. We've got all the latest from the newsroom and a whole lot more. It's time to open the gate and unleash the beast, so... Let's get this show on the road! Yes, get over there! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. We cut up the road at the Razorback Mountain. The last day of the blockade on Razorback officially began at 10 o'clock when driver delegates met and also conferred with police representatives. The news media was herded out of hearing range. All we know is uh, we've had enough and you know we've been forced into this, we've had to do it, we've done it. Another fight in a long continuing battle. The night of the original blockade, April the 2nd, will be remembered on its anniversary every year by truckies around Australia for many years to come. This is Peter George reporting. We cut up the road at the Razorback Mountain Living's a little bit rough But for all your misgivings We're just trying to make a living And $17 a time This time, 43 years ago, there were a bunch of outstanding blokes on a hill at Razorback in New South Wales protesting for their rights and the rights of all the truckies across the country. I think we stand on the shoulders of those giants because they were giants, the five blokes, and I'm privileged to know a couple of them personally. The fact is that there were other blockade sites around the country. Now, Chris Rowe is a guest today, and Chris was at another one of those as a young bloke. 
We're going to talk about that. And we're going to have a quick talk about Ted's book as well. And remember what was going on 43 years ago at Razorback. A few quotes here from Ted, and I know that Chris has got a couple as well. But then we want to have a talk about how sometimes the good operators aren't the best businessmen and how some of the problems we're facing today is going to weed a few blokes out, and it's unfortunate. Chris, welcome back to the show, mate. Good on you, Mike. Thanks for inviting me back, mate. I'm glad you brought up about a burn 43 years. I'd sort of forgotten you forget how the dates go. In any other industry, you know, the date would be celebrated, wouldn't it, for what was achieved there at Razorback? Yeah. Any other industry would have it in their calendar as a thing to be remembered and celebrated every year, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, it would. I wrote about it for the 40th anniversary and the bit was published in Big Rigs. And it was an amazing thing to people that it was that long ago. 2nd of April 1979, it all started. Yeah. And it all started because of, well, there's a long history. It actually started a long time before that, but the actual blockade itself, when Ted and his mates decided it was time to block the highway, that was the 2nd of April, but it had been going for a while. There were blokes getting locked up, and you've got a quote there, I think, from Ted's book about what his uncle and his old man had to say. They'd all end up locked up or out of business or something? Yeah, this was when Rojax was first introduced, so... This was when Ted himself was a kid, as I was, when my father used to get locked up for being unable to pay his road tax. Hmm. The quote is, Jesus, mate, we're all going to finish up in jail. I can see the writing on the bloody wall now. All the big companies will get their heads together, yep. take all our business, and we'll finish up working for them for crap because they'll price us out of the market. <laughs> it was almost a Nostradamus-type quote, that. You know, like, yep. So, again, on the history of it all, I was pretty disappointed with the industry at large and the industry bodies that they didn't even recognise Ted's passing at the time that it happened. Well, like I said, we do stand on the shoulders of giants and I've been quoted and I have quoted others. Razorback was the greatest act of insurrection apart from the Eureka Stockade. Fortunately, no one died as a result of Razorback, but Ted Stevens died a thousand deaths after it, didn't he? I mean, the industry virtually cast him aside. Oh, exactly. And I've heard it before, you probably would have heard it, there's people that'll tell you that they were ruined because of the blockade, mm. that that was what sent them to the wall. Well, let me tell you, anyone that was ruined because they had to stop for nine days was already ruined, Mike. That's right, yeah. They weren't ruined by the blockade, they were already on the way out. Yeah. All the blockade might have done was hasten the process sort of thing, you know? I can quote Ted as saying, here I am, a busted-ass truck driver with an eighth-grade education, speaking to premiers and union leaders, didn't know what I was doing, had no idea. You've got to read the book. It's warts and all. Every single word of it's the truth. And I'll tell you what, it's a pretty warts and all description, that book, isn't it? Uh, look, and it's hard to put down. If you get hold of the book and, and get nothing to do of a night time while you're waiting for days off, it. <laughs> actually, it's probably not a good idea to try and read it then because you won't get much sleep, but I thought it was a very good read. And scattered throughout it, Mike, are these constant references to the fact that while road tax was a bad tax and had to go because it was an inequitable tax, hmm. their biggest problem still was that they weren't making enough money to pay the tax. Well, that's right, yeah. If they'd have been making money and getting rates that would have covered the tax, then they'd have been fine. But that was their biggest problem, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, love him or hate him, old mate Green Dog, Ted Stevens, there's no denying that his influence on what happened in road transport was pretty big. Him and his five mates, Spencer Watling, Barry Gribson, Jack Hibbard, Colin Bird, and old Ted himself. There was another fellow, I can't remember his name, Barry Grimson did tell me, or I can't think of the name, I may think of it later on. They all committed and did what they did, and I mean, Ted had said that he'd had it. One way or another, he was busted, and he needed to burn his bloody truck outside Parliament House or block the friggin' highway, he said. He's going to do something to make him sit up and take notice. I think they were all sort of backed into a corner. I don't think that they had an idea that they could go somewhere else. 
and they tried to go down the Luger route. I don't think the TWU were doing very much to help them. They were up against some bully boys at TNT, and Ted makes no bones about that in the book. I mean, he rips TNT fairly hard, and rightfully so. At this point, too, I've got to thank Bob McMillan. I was looking around for a copy of this book, and they're not easy to find now. And Bob, thankfully, sent me one in the mail and said, there you go, mate, read that. Thanks, Bob, if you're listening. It was worth every second, as you say. It's hard to put down. Yeah, and I'd just like to encourage anyone, if they could get hold of the book, to do so. I think Spencer Watling was actually able to get hold of copies of the book, too. I think the proceeds of it still go to supporting Ted's family sort of thing, you know, so hmm. if anyone wants to spend a dollar or two, that'd be a good way to go. Yeah, well, I know that Spencer was up there the other day having a pie and a beer at Razorback. It's only just up the road from where I am now. Yep. It's very timely to have this conversation. It took a few years for the industry to destroy Ted, but they managed it. I mean, they basically ostracised him. The bank foreclosed on his house and he split up with his missus. And I think he ended up in a band or something, didn't he? And did gigs around Melbourne and... I didn't follow Ted's life after Razorback very much at all. Um, we all get absorbed in our own lives and doing what we have to do. Yep. I was at reasonably young, 24, when it all happened. Yeah. So you tend to get on with life. But I know I've never, ever, ever forgotten or lost my admiration or gratitude hmm. for the things that every one of those blokes and the balls to do what they did and achieve what they did. I've just always felt a great debt of gratitude to them and for the fact that no longer did people like my father, and even at that stage, even at 24, mm. I'd started to receive my first letters about the fact that I hadn't been able to pay my road tax. Mm. I was sort of starting to be lined up ready for it. And from that point on, no matter whether you think that they did it, everything they did was good, everything they did was bad, the undeniable fact is, Mike, that from that day forward, nobody's ever gone to jail because they couldn't pay a road tax. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. And Unfortunately, Ted sacrificed his house, his family, his business to make that a reality. And I think it's a poor reflection on our industry, the fact that, as you say, Razorback is not more celebrated or more known about. There's a lot of guys out there, you say, you know, you know about Razorback, and they've got not a clue. It is a poor reflection on the industry. And without wanting to be too critical, perhaps a poor reflection on our current associations that they can't recognise that a lot of what was started then is the very reason why they exist today, Mike. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The other part about this too, what's going on today in a lot of ways shows that we just haven't learned from history. Yeah, well, you've only got to have a look at world events to know that we haven't learned much from history. Yeah. And what's going on in the industry now is typical because the current fixation that everybody has at the moment, Mike, is obviously with fuel, hmm. and especially since the budget on Tuesday with the reduction in fuel excise. Yeah. There's a huge focus industry-wide about fuel and fuel levies and what we're going to do. And we're missing the point, as they did in Razorback days, mm. we're missing the point that there are so many other costs involved that need to be accounted for, Mike. Yep. Currently, steel has gone up in the last 12 months by 40%, so that's going to have a huge impact on your vehicle prices, your trailing equipment prices, your repair costs, your insurance costs because of the extra cost of parts and so on. We've got a superannuation guarantee going up to 12%. And yet all that you see is the major companies offering you a percentage increase on a base rate that's not enough in the first place, Mike. Yeah. We'll come back and we'll talk about that after the break, I think, mate. And we'll hear from our sponsors and we'll get stuck right into it. I think, mate, there's a lot to talk about there. You can call me there, Andy. Yeah, Mike, got you go. Mate, we're coming up to that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're going to be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. Would want to be playing chicken with that. 
Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the tracks, mate. It's <laughs> not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailer. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny, though, when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat, really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. Long way to go. After you, old mate. This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Righto, we're back. Chris Rowe is a third generation or the middle of the part of three generations of an owner-driver trucking family and he's done a few miles and got a few ideas about how to run his business part of the NRFA as I'm proudly a member. We've been touching on the idea of the fact that there are guys out there that are great truck drivers and good at what they do, but they don't run their businesses very well. And I'll tell you what, where we're at today, as we were talking about with the fuel excise, the price of diesel's just going stratospheric. And that really does hurt because that hits your bottom line straight away. We need to, I think, probably touch on the idea that perhaps it's about time that we adopted the idea that we need to have accredited truck operators. You shouldn't be able to just go and buy a truck, jump behind the wheel and go and start carting freight without knowing what it takes to run a truck business. What do you reckon? Yeah, I really enjoyed your talk with Trevor last week, Mike, and bear in mind that Trevor's an employed driver. Yeah. But he's always been very strong on the idea that somehow or other owner-drivers whether they can be obliged to or not, I don't know if that's quite correct, but certainly need to take into account their own wage cost in any jobs that they do and any price that they accept because so often they don't. And Trevor said there's times where he'll be sitting being held up for an hour or two in an unloading process and his employer is obliged to pay him for his waiting time and then the time that he's held up, mm. whereas an owner-driver will be sitting there getting absolutely nothing for it. Yeah. That, again, is one of the things that's encompassed in the Stirl report, that the marriage and waiting times be compulsory and be paid to anyone that's in the supply chain. So we definitely need more education, that's for sure. But education and a mindset difference, you know, it just frustrates me sometimes that owner-drivers don't see that their own wage and their own well-being is as important and more important probably and should be the very first reason why you actually get into the industry. Well, I've said more than once, I sit back and having owned my own trucks and employed a few guys, I would never turn a wheel if I wasn't going to make a buck out of it. And some blokes would say to me, oh, but you've got to get back, you've got to go and get the load. And I would often say to them, you're better off to run empty. Yep. There's certainly times where we've done that and we'll continue to do it, especially if you've got a good load and a customer that needs to be looked after. Hmm. It just frustrates you sometimes owner-drivers can be so clever about so many things that they do hmm. and yet miss those obvious things. You know, and I've seen blokes strip their trucks down with weight, take the spare tyres, the gates and everything off, yep. only put enough fuel in them for one leg so they can get an extra pack of steel on you know, but the problem is that they're justifying carting for a crap rate hmm. by doing all those sort of things. They're using that ingenuity to better themselves, to make more money for themselves, and great. Hmm. But just to subsidise somebody who doesn't want to pay you the right rate in the first place, Mike is crazy. That brings us to the conversation about when we went from lots of guys having singles to starting off with the B-doubles. I'm sure you remember well 
there were guys out there that were getting these trucks. So you go on, you buy an A-trailer and you stick it in the combination and then we've had the sets of rules. And every time we've had a bit of an increase in the length of a truck, rather than giving a driver a little bit more comfort with a bigger prime mover and a few facilities, we managed to find enough room for an extra couple of pallet spaces. So we went from a 23-metre B-double to a 25-metre B-double to a 26-metre B-double. And we went from, what, 32 pallets to 36 pallets now, I think? Something like that, yeah. And then, of course, if you're carting for any of the big majors that are doing general freight, well, they want you to have double drop decks and mez floors because we need to put those extra pallets on. And hundreds and hundreds of dollars they're charging. I remember, well, I think last time I went to Perth, we double drop deck mez floors. I think we got 12 grand plus the GST, and that was what we got paid to go over. So we're getting three and a half grand to come back. Yeah. See, the cost of an A-trailer, when B-doubles first come out, everyone sort of thought, oh, this will be great because we'll be able to make more money. But mm. the cost of an A-trailer is pretty much the same as the cost of a B-trailer nowadays. They've still got 12 tyres and 12 sets of brakes and the insurance and rego and all those sort of things are pretty much the same as an A-trailer. And yet we've had correspondence this week, Mike, or in the last fortnight, from one of the major players in the steel carriage industry in the country that we do a bit for, mm. and we're trying to wean ourselves well away from, I can tell you, but They've just put out a set of rates because of the fuel and the price difference. Like, I've only ever run single trailers. I've never run a B-double. The price of running a B-double to carry the steel, it's $8 a tonne cheaper, Mike, that they want to pay you to carry the steel on a B-double than what you do on a single. So what you're saying to me is that we'll load your B-double for whatever, a tonne. What are they saying, 58 a tonne or something, I suppose, something like that, is it? Yeah, it's, uh, I forget what it is, 64 a tonne or something, but yep. we'll load your single for that. Mm. But if it's a B-double, if you want to take a B-double in there, yeah, you can put on extra weight. You can go from 24 tonne to a 38 tonne payload, yep. but you'll be doing it for $8 a tonne cheaper. Now, that's... what part of a paralysis of intellect thinks that that's a good idea, Mike? <laughs> it just beats me, you know? The absolute arrogance of the bastards to even put it in black and white. <laughs> it amazed me, you say about the absolute arrogance, that a little while back when the price of fuel 18 months ago was a fair bit less than what it is now, one of the majors would regularly put out their fuel levy every month mm. and blatantly post it that it was in a negative number. So they were actually charging us the fuel levy. Unreal. And they would blatantly post it out in an email, like without any fear of any retribution at all from anyone. The ACCC is something to be really feared, aren't they, Mike? I remember back when fuel went over a dollar a litre, and I thought, this is just ridiculous. It's unsustainable. The rates have got to change. <laughs> and life went on. The world kept spinning. Blokes kept papering over the cracks. And that is the problem. We've papered over the cracks. Like, don't ever underestimate the ability of an owner-driver, small fleet operator or whatever, to find ways which sometimes aren't good. Mm to counter the fact that they're not being paid enough, you know? Oh, I can tell you stories that make your toes cool, mate. Getting back to the fact that we're NAFRA members and that Glyn Castanelli, who's very, very big on training in the industry, had a post there a little while back among ourselves where he said that he wanted to know that the truck coming towards him of a night that had a driver in it that was properly trained. And yeah. while I totally agree with that, I said to Glyn, the thing I want to know about the bloke coming towards me of a night is that he isn't trying to squeeze another couple of trips out of his steer tyres. Yeah, yeah. That he hasn't postponed the brake reline that he should have done last month until next month. Yep. I want to know that also he hasn't spent six hours sitting in some godforsaken DC waiting to be loaded or unloaded and now is hell-bent on making up the time that he hasn't been paid for to try and keep his week on track. Yep. 
They said they're the things that I want to know about the bloke coming towards me for night, Glenn, as well as the fact that he has been trained. The whole thing is, as Trevor and I have talked about in the past, and I've spoken with Rod Hannafy about it, and others, I mean, I've talked to anyone, I've talked to a black snake. But I mean, the fact is, the whole thing is like not one thing, not one individual thing on its own is the problem. All the things together are what make the problem. I've used the analogy like seconds from disaster or airplane investigation. It's always something that leads to something else which causes the disaster in the finish. Exactly. And I think a lot of these businesses that are out there being run now, with the price of fuel being affected the way it's been, the price of fuel is the thing that pushes them over the edge, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is that they're not getting paid the right amount of money in the first place. No, that's exactly right, Mike. The huge focus, obviously, is on fuel at the moment and fuel excises and all the rest of it. Mm. We're forgetting that there's other things out there that are going on and on and on. Mm. The cost of equipment and insurance and everything else all adds to the equation. And we find now if we're asked to quote ourselves by some smaller customers, we don't bother with trying to quote a fuel levy to them. We just quote what it's going to cost to do the job, mate. Yeah. If they want a load taken from point A to point B, this is how much money we need this week to do that job. Yeah. Don't confuse your customers and everybody else with fuel levies and minus and plus and everything else on top of it. That's what it costs to do the job. Yep. Let's get that amount of money to do it. So of course, obviously, your major players, in Ted Stevens' days, it was TNT. Yep. Today, we know who the other big three players are in that caper that run a comfortable little oligopoly among themselves. Yep. They're just not playing the game at all, Mike. You know, like they're absolutely intent on maintaining their margin between the price that they get and what they pay the subcontractor. Mm. Never at any stage are they prepared to give up any of that margin. And they're completely indifferent to who they grind into the dust while they do it. Uh, that's right. It, it, it's a matter of next, you know, next. Yeah. One of the things that is frustrating me a lot this week is that government, unfortunately, have no idea what they did by having that fuel excise and then removing our diesel fuel rebate. Oh, what a bunch of clowns. Yeah, because smaller businesses like ours relied on your diesel fuel rebate for cash flow management mm. to offset your GST payment when that was due at the end of the month. That's right. You could use that as a rule of thumb to keep your cash flow under control, but by doing what they've done, all they've done is created a monster. We were gradually getting to the stage where the laws of supply and demand were starting to have some effect, yep. where we were able to actually start to be on the right side of that equation. But now the customer's been sold this pup that because of the reduction in the fuel excise that all the freight's going to get cheaper, and now they're out there, customers are demanding that. The thing about it is, though, they've made a colossal cock-up. It's almost like the fellows we've trusted to run our country economically have got not a clue. <laughs> By tampering with the excise and also tampering with the fuel rebate, they've effectively done nothing to relieve the situation. I saw a fellow's handwritten equation sent me a text message the other day. His fuel bill's gone up by 10 grand. Yeah. But the fuel rebate has gone down. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So it's actually costing him now more money to do the job than it was a month ago. Yeah. And he basically said to me, well, I've got two choices now. I can sit the truck in the yard and throw rocks at it and be just as well off. One that scared me the other day was a fellow that I'd heard of secondhand who, when asked what he was going to do about whether he'd try and get better rate or whatever for, for the work that he was doing, said, oh, I think I'll just wait and see what happens. <laughs> mm. We all know where that's going to end. I'll wait and see what happens. Yeah. It's probably always been that way that there's people faced with some decisions, but I think, Mike, that the only thing it might be a godsend to some of us is that 
the options for cutting corners have just about gone. Mm. There's none left. All the tricks that owner drivers have employed for years and years and years and you know, going back to the Razorback days and before the Razorback days, I can remember folks who put their wives on unmarried pensions to keep a truck on the road. Yeah. While I keep insisting that the ingenuity of the owner drivers and the smaller operators shouldn't be underestimated, I really think we've just about run out of options. There's just nothing much more left to think of to cut the corners, Mike. Yeah, well, I hate to say it, but you look at where we're at now and you look at where it's going and anyone with a sense of history has got to have the feeling that the next bit is certainly not going to be comfortable for many of them with their trucks. We look at what the ATA have had to say about their proposals to change the heavy vehicle national law and we know, as Trevor and I said, that that's going to be an uphill battle and you won't see any real changes there, I wouldn't think. The ATA are basically spruiking the desires of their constituents. There's no doubt about that. And any benefit that happens to owner drivers is a side issue. What do you think is going to happen down the track? You're saying that there aren't many avenues for blokes left to cut a corner. Do you think we're just going to see blokes just fall over one after the other? It'll depend on the financial situation of each individual. Mike, yep. I do know a certain blokes now, and I'm glad to hear them say it and do it, mm. saying, look, you know, i got an older truck, I own my truck, I own my gear, I'm going to put it in the shed. Yeah. That does give me a sense of relief to hear that, that they're simply not prepared to keep working. One other fellow said to me the other day, my payments aren't that big. I can park this thing up and go and work for someone and make the payments working for someone, you know? Yeah, yeah. If we can just get that sort of attitude prevail a bit more, I'm sure there are unfortunately going to be some people that will go to the wall. And again, the major players will get off scot-free out of all this, Mike. Yep. They'll be the ones that, as I said before, they're pretty much around about a 30% margin on what they'll pay an owner-driver or a subcontractor as to what their prime contract rates are. And, of course, your smaller freight depot-to-depot depot type stuff, it's a hell of a lot more. Hmm. And they're just not prepared to give any of that margin at all. Yeah. They've got to be held complicit for some of what might come. Hmm. Well, we'll just take another quick break, and we'll come back to have a bit of a chat about the idea about perhaps having some sort of regulatory framework in place to make sure that people know what they're doing. We'll come back and talk about that. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Righto, we're back with Chris Rowe. Now, Chris, I have said on the record several times, I know that there isn't a prevailing opinion out there with some that we should follow a model where our businesses have to be licensed and accredited and we stop being rate takers and we understand how much it costs to run our business and we know that everyone out there is starting off from a level playing field knowing how much it costs to run their truck. What do you think about that, mate? Yeah, I think it would be, it goes without saying, it's a good thing that people have to know their costs and all that sort of stuff. 
exactly how you do it. I haven't given that as much thought as what I probably should have, Mike. Hmm. But I do concede that it is essential. Logic would tell you that they're all things that anybody should consider before they go into business. The other thing that concerns me about any of that is that regardless of how good a businessman or how careful you are or anything else, the propensity for you to take all those things and do all your homework and all that sort of stuff before you go into it, and that'd be fine, and then all of a sudden get involved in a situation which we've had happen to us a couple of times where mm. you're working for a good organisation with a comfortable rate structure and everything's fine, all of a sudden out of the blue, one of the majors decides that they want that work mm. and go in after it, and then they still need the subcontractor base, say, to handle that work. Yeah. Then you get faced with a pretty horrible decision because you're faced with, I've still got two years payments on this outfit. Hmm. I haven't got an immediate other thing that I can go to to do. I need to make the payment next month and the fuel bill's still going to turn up on the 21st. Hmm. For now, I'd better try and battle through. How we stop that from happening, Mike, is as important as what it is to educate the operator before they even start business, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's just one of those things that I've often wondered about. How do we actually stop that? And one of them perhaps is starting to get into another area of great controversy, no doubt. But a subcontractor rate that means that no matter who the prime contractor is, mm. they have to pay the same rate to the subcontractor. So if a prime contractor wants to go up against another prime contractor, that's fine. But when you're employing a subcontractor, you have to pay that same rate as what was previously paid because you're not using the subcontractor to win the contract by a cut price. Yeah. The whole thing's a can of worms. It is. My fear is that once we end up with some sort of regulatory body saying, well, that's the minimum rate for the job, then that does become the rate for the job. Yeah, I have heard that argument before, and with some justification, I know a lot of blokes do do that, but I think there's still room to sell yourself as being a better operator. Yeah, well, it's all very well to say quality of service will win you the job and all that sort of stuff, and sometimes, you know, depending on your situation, it does. But the reality is the customers want their freight moved as cheaply as possible. The intermediaries want to make their slice of the pie. The authorities are involved in making it all moved about legally. The drivers want to make their slice of the pie. At the end of the day, there has to be some profit in the business or it's just not worth doing. Unfortunately, as you said, you can go ahead and you can make your decisions one after the other and they're all right at the time. And then something happens, the wheels fall off and the decisions you made two months ago are now completely wrong and you've got nowhere to go. And the fact is, I suppose you say, oh, we need to soldier on. While you're soldiering on, you're not looking for other work. You're soldiering on. And there's nowhere to go. No, that's true. And there is nowhere to go. I think at the moment, it's possibly some are being saved by the fact that we've spoken about before. The prices of second-hand vehicles and equipment at the moment is reasonably okay. So yeah. of that mind, you could probably get out and save the furniture as it was. But I'm also a little bit intrigued as to whether that situation's going to stay and continue mm. given the margins now and, and what's happened with fuel. I've never been in the industry at a stage where everything is changing so constantly, so quickly, Mike. Yeah. A week ago, half of what we've been talking about today wouldn't have been on the radar. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know what level of education you can give someone before they go into business that's going to cover all those movable situations. Well, you can't cover it all, Chris. So it is up to the individual to make sensible decisions for themselves, you know. But the issue is, though, you get guys come along and they buy the $40,000 Argosy and the $15,000 flat-top trailer, 
and we both know that they're out there. And then they go to someone like, oh, I don't know, K&S, and say, well, we'll cut your steel out of Newcastle back to Melbourne or back to Sydney for a rate and we'll cut whatever for a rate. And they accept that that's the way it's going to be. They're out there competing and creating a rate that then other people are going to try and work with because the major will say, well, look, these blokes are doing it for that. You blokes can do it for that. And if you don't want to do it for that, go and do something else. Yeah. And that's the way it works. And these guys don't have a clue. That's certainly the way it works. And in that respect, you sure there should be some sort of a licensing requisite, I suppose, apart from the driver's license and some basic training before you undertake a business. Well, I also think that there should be some issues with the license as well. As I said, I'm well on the record of saying, I can't understand why we let people come here and just get a license and go and drive a truck. Oh, no, no. that's You can't do it in America. You can't do it in England. You can't do it in Europe. Why do we let it happen here? That's exactly right. Again, it's part of what some of the bigger companies are prepared to do, just have bums in seats. Mm. So, again, there's an old saying that the fish rots from the head down, and <laughs> I think this transport industry probably is relevant to that, Mike. You know, like we can blame the people that, as we know, are price takers. Mm. We can blame them as much as we like, but the people at the top actually know what's going on, know what it costs to run a truck. Mm. And as I said before, they're complicit if they allow people to come in and work at a cost that they know can't be sustained. Well, I understand, mate. You're not going to get an argument out of me because we both know that it happens. Mm, exactly. Anyway, mate, there's a load of other stuff we could get into and I'd love to keep chatting with you about all of it. And, mate, we could probably solve all the industry issues if you and I just sort of sat here and chewed the fat for a bit longer and banged a few heads together. Yeah, I don't know, mate. I have enough time left in the industry to solve all the problems. And I'm pretty sure my young bloke doesn't want to hear any more of my ideas. Yeah. It is time for us older blokes to step out of the way and let some of these younger blokes have a go at it, Mike. Yeah. Again, to do the full circle, so long as they learn and understand from history that if they make the same mistakes that we do, Hmm. then we're bound to finish up in the same places. All we can say, mate, just to wrap up, is we do stand on the shoulders of giants. Giants like Ted and his mates that were at Razorback, and we remember them for what they did 43 years ago. And I certainly wish we had some men of similar character around now because I think we need them. Yep, and I'd just love to see somebody in the industry, whether it's in the industry media or whatever, just pay more recognition as you just have done to the fact that it happens at this time of the year every year and it needs to be remembered. That's right, and learnt from. Not saying let's have another blockade because we can't do that. But by Christ, we can do some other things. We can tell these blokes we're not carting their freight for the crap they want to pay. Exactly. Good to chat, Chris. You have a happy day, mate. Have a safe trip, and I'll see you on the road somewhere, maybe. Good on you, Mike. I'm looking forward to that, mate, and you can buy the coffee. <laughs> Good on me. Ta-da. <laughs> see ya. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcast every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean... How are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. 
As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Hey, it's Blake Dandia here, and you're listening to On the Road with Mark and Andy. Yes, it's time for the great On the Road Aussie music giveaway. We've talked on the show recently with sensational Aussie country music star Blake Dantier, and we'll be catching up with him again shortly to hear all about the release of his fantastic new album, Dry Season. To celebrate the album release, over the next few weeks, we'll be giving away a few autographed copies of the album, courtesy of Blake Dantier, Wild Heart Publicity and On The Road Podcast. Now here's a brief reminder of what you can expect from the new album. So to go into the draw to win one of these great Blake Dantier autograph CDs, simply send a text to 0418-722-488 with your name, contact phone number and the code words dry season. Once again, text 0418-722-488 with your name, contact phone number and the code words dry season. Winners will be announced here on the road after our chat with Blake in a couple of weeks time. Good luck. Our special music guest this week is a resilient young artist who, armed with her guitar, tells it like it is in a world where a carefully manicured facade seems to be more important than the truth. Facing challenges in her life that most of us would struggle to deal with, Sarah Leet has the rare kind of tenacity that has seen her channel her emotions into creating powerful songs and performing around the country supporting acts like the Viper Creek Band, Bill Chambers and Fanny Lumsden. Joining us this week to talk about her career, life in general and her new single Used is the delightful Sarah Leet. G'day, Sarah. Thanks for dropping by for a chat. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, after dabbling a bit in music in your early teens, you made the decision to pursue a career in agriculture, studying farming and then working on the land for a few years. It's quite a different start to most people in the music industry. It was. It was a bit of a cheapskate, really. (laughs) I had to choose between the two and music. I just had no idea how I would do it. I thought you kind of had to leave school or whatever and get like a recording contract or something. So that to me was just very foreign. Sure. So I knew how to do a bit in ag and I went to Tokal Ag College and did a couple of years there, my cert three and four, and then moved out to work on a farm because that was a sensible idea. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed it was. Now, was there a particular time or event where you thought, okay, enough of this and turn your focus back to building a full-time music career? Yeah, so it happened kind of gradually. I'd kept writing songs and I had got a couple of gigs up where I live now like originally from the Central Coast in New South Wales. And then I've moved out to a little town in the Narrabri Shire. Mm-hmm. And I was working out here. And it's a lot easier to get gigs. And I suppose because I was the girl that sang, 
they got me up at the pub a couple of times to bring my guitar in. And then from there, I just kind of worked my way into getting a few cover gigs around the place. And it kind of got to a point where you can only spend so much time in a tractor. Right. I know people do it for a living and I probably could have. Yeah. But yeah, I just knew that music was a passion that I had that I kind of had to pursue. And it was just one of those all or nothing things, I guess. I was like, righto, I'm going to give this a good crack. Right. I got a scholarship to the CMAA Academy of Country Music off the back of a talent show win up here. And I knew that once I had gone into that, I wouldn't want to go back. Yeah. And whilst I have done Harvest a couple of times since then, I still do some hours in a tractor. It's predominantly singing. Okay. It's interesting you talk about starting out from the Central Coast. It seems that there's an absolute wealth of talent coming out of that region. There must be something in the water there. Yeah, well, there's just a lot of people in now, I guess. When I moved out here, again, I was just so naive. It didn't even occur to me that you could be a country singer on the coast. Mm. And once I'd moved out here, I realized that everyone was moving over there. So I was like, oh, that was fun. But I love the rural lifestyle and I love the beach and it's fun to visit, but I wouldn't go back. (laughs) And on to the next stage of the career. Now, you experienced more than your fair share of tragedy, and we don't need to go into details. But importantly, despite all you went through, you found the strength to work through it and move forward. And you used the restrictions of the pandemic, as so many have, to lock yourself away to write and record a whole bunch of fresh new songs. Yes. It took me a couple of weeks to adjust because I think initially they were really just saying, oh, you know, a couple of weeks and we'll flatten the curve. And (laughs) remember those days. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was fun. But once I realised I was kind of in there for the long haul and it wasn't just the emerging artists, it was a really established musicians as well really hurting. I was like, oh, okay, this is something that's probably not going to go away for a while. Yeah. I've been through some things the year before and the year before that. And I just thought, oh, 2020 is going to be my year. I'm going to tour. I'm going to make a heap of money and I'm going to record an album. Right. That was my goal for 2020. And then obviously that fell apart quite quickly. Uh-huh. But I saw that I could use that time, yeah, constructively. And I know a lot of people didn't have the inspiration or didn't have the chance, but I was just one of the lucky ones, I suppose. That was good. Yeah. And you've worked with my old mate, Michael Moko, to produce your new material. I haven't seen him for years, but he's a talented guy. How did you come across Michael? Moko is the best. Yeah. So he was caught up in my initial recording. I recorded an EP back in 2017 with Catherine Britt. Mm-hmm. She produced it and Michael kind of played all over it as he does. And he essentially co-produced it, I suppose. So once I'd kind of worked with him, I just really liked his style and really liked him as a person. He's just a really nice guy. Isn't he? So I'd reached out to him to do this like last lot of singles and he just gets what I want before I even kind of say what I want. He knows exactly where I want to go with it and he's just yeah, really valuable feedback. It's just great to have him really on my side. <laughs> For sure. And that's how a good producer works. Now, things are starting to open up again around the country. Yay. (laughs) What plans do you have for the rest of the year from a live performance point of view? From a live performance point of view, I am going to hit the road with my husband. This is going to offend some truckies, I'm sure, but we are fixing up our caravan (laughs) and we are just going to head out on the road and really see where the wind takes us. I'm kind of finishing up a part-time role at the moment. I was lucky enough to score that during COVID. And we're, yeah, renovating the caravan and we're just going to drive around and I'm just going to play anywhere I can. It's going to be very, very exciting. I'm starting to get a couple of live gigs and stuff happening now. Mm. It's all looking very, very positive and I'm very excited. Now, we might have to send you a couple of on-the-road podcast stickers and you can stick them on the back of the caravan and that'll buy you easy access past the truckies. Would love that. Get you in anywhere, they will. (laughs) We have common sense, though, so I think we'll be right. (laughs) Yeah, it should be too. Now, where can people go online to find out more about you and your music, Sarah? 
So I think my website's probably the best spot. It'll direct you to all the other places. Mm-hmm. So com, And then as you're driving along, you can stream it or call into your local radio station wherever you're driving through to. And then hopefully later in the year, there'll be an actual physical copy. So if you've still got a CD player in your Kenworth, you can whack that in there <laughs> and you can learn all the words. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, LEET is L-E-E-T-E, right? That's right, yeah. All right. Well, I've been speaking with homegrown songwriter and performer Sarah Leet. It's been great to chat with you, Sarah. Thanks so much for sparing a few minutes of your time to come and play on the road with us. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Now, before we go, we'd love to play your new single. Would you please introduce it for us? Sure. I'm Sarah Leet, and this is my brand new single, Used. Thanks, Sarah. Take care, mate. Thanks. They've seen on the street Get involved like they've got No choices to be Anything they think they can be When you're done and you got what you wanted Say it was fun, don't need anything from it
G'day, it's Adam Harvey here, and you're listening to Mike and Andy on the road. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. G'day, Mike. G'day, right? How are you going? Doing all right, thank you. What part of our big brown wide land are you in at the moment? Well, I'm sitting on the big cement area at the Ballina Service Centre. Right. And I'll tell you what, mate, the place is absolutely chocky. You couldn't fit a fag paper between the trucks in here. Is that right? Yeah, it's incredibly busy. But clearly the water has subsided. Yeah, the water's subsided, mate. You can see where it's been, though. Right. Bit of an overcast day. I'm going to get some more rain here, too, by the look of it. But anyway, there you go. There you go. Well, just quickly, keeping you up to speed with the happenings in my neck of the woods, the bride and I were chatting about something last night. Okay. Can't quite remember what it was about. Obviously, it couldn't have been too important. Not unusual, yep. No, but at one stage, she glared at me and said, stop yawning. <laughs> I said, I wasn't yawning, dear. I thought it was my turn to speak. <laughs> you can't get a word in edgeway sometimes, can you? Yeah, I think I got it wrong again. Yeah, I think you might have, buddy. Are you ducking for cover? Yeah, no, but I'm hiding. <laughs> I would be if I was you. As the campaigning starts in earnest for the upcoming federal election, yep. the Labor opposition has said that if they win government at the poll, they will invest $80 million towards new and upgraded rest areas for truckies. They have said that indeed. i tell you what, the boys in the red corner have come out swinging and they've put together a bit of a plan and I've had a bit of a chat with Glenn about it and it all does sound quite good. Hmm. Glenn Stirl is the Shadow Assistant Minister for Road Safety, as we're all aware. Hmm. Well, the opposition's shadow minister, Catherine King, and Glenn made the announcement in Perth the other day. And $80 million, look, it does sound like a lot of money, but it won't go far. It's going to have to be spent well to have an impact. Mm. I'm not in a position to make any announcements at the moment, but there are a few people that are going to be involved in the working party for this. And I think we're well on the way to having some sensible outcomes. Yeah, obviously, they've got to get into power. Yes. But if they do, I think transport will see some action fairly quickly. You know, the simple fact is that a well-rested truck driver is a safe truck driver. It's as simple as that. Mm. Everyone knows that. Yep. But to do it, you've got to have the infrastructure. And Glenn Byrne, a former truck driver and a bloke that still does get out there behind the wheel, understands those few facts. Yep. Unlike some others. Mm. Following on from the recent federal budget announcements, the government has finally tabled its response to the Senate inquiry into the road transport industry. The Glenn Stirl News Program continues. It does. <laughs> it's been a while now since Glenn wound up this inquiry and finally the government have decided to table their responses to it. I note with interest reading the story on bigrigs.com.au that there are a number of things there that the government either A, don't support or simply just note. Some of the recommendations, of course, to anyone that's involved in the transport industry make perfect sense. These things are glaringly obvious. Mm. You know, the government saying, oh, we note this as being a problem. Noting a problem and actually doing something about it, two entirely different things. And personally, I'm sick of seeing the Liberal Party taking note of things and then not acting on it. Mm. They've had a long time in government, and I'm afraid, in my opinion, transport has suffered for it. I'm a conservative. It hurts for me to have to say that, but it's true. Mm. I'll be looking forward to seeing what Barnaby Joyce has got to say. I will say at this point, I have asked Minister Joyce for an interview two weeks ago. They asked me to send an interview outlining what I would like to talk to him about, mm. since he's the Minister of Transport. How about trucking stuff? Yep. So at this point, I haven't received a reply. Not even we decline, just nothing. Yeah. Ignored. Barnaby Joyce. The mail is running pretty slow at the moment, 
oh, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> particularly that email thing, you yeah, know, that's yeah. all newfangled stuff, you know. And I'm, that's it. And I'm sure. It's the rain and it's COVID and it's yeah, yeah, climate yeah, change. Yeah. It's, yeah. Who would know? Who would know? Well, mate, we've got one here that I think might just get your hackles up a little bit, so let's roll in. Yeah. A week after the blunder that saw 45,000 transport for New South Wales e-toll customers double slugged for tolls, mm. one trucking boss has stated that Service New South Wales still owes him $57,000. Yeah, have you got your hand near the slider, have you, buddy? No, but I've taken my headphones off. <laughs> Protect my ears. Oh, look, I'm going to have to try and maintain some level of composure. Good luck with that. But who knew? Mm. Who knew that this could possibly happen? Mm. You know, double slugged. You know the worst part about these bastards? They make you give them your bank details yep. so they can just direct debit your bill yep. and keep you in credit a certain amount of time. Yep. Just for me personally, they want $100 of my money just because I've got a tag because I might drive on their bit of road. Yeah. And they keep that in their pocket all the time. Yep. Tell me it's not a rot. No. This fellow's discovered 40 separate instances of overcharging at $1,000 a pop, $1,000 a time. And they've just gone ahead and taken the money out of his account. And now they offered him credits. Well, no, it's my money. Give it back, you bastards. Mm. It's disgraceful. Mm. And it's disgraceful the fact that the government have legislated bloody fines for people so that they can't use side roads. And it's not only in New South Wales. It's bloody Brisbane. It's all over the place where these tolls exist. Why do we even have tolls? Mm. The amount of fuel excise we pay... The amount of road tax we pay, a road tax is probably the wrong word, but it is the equivalent of road tax. Yeah. The road user charge I'm talking about, sorry. The registration, the whole lot, you know, we should have gold line, centre line, the amount of money that they collect. Mm. We get companies with large overseas interests buying our infrastructure and then charging the people of Australia to use it. Mm. We pay tax on our money when we earn it. We pay tax on our money when we spend it. And you get charged for things like tolls. How long ago did we pay for the Harbour Bridge? Oh, quite a long time. Sorry, mate, I'm on a roll. Yeah. How long ago did we pay for the Westgate Bridge in Melbourne? Mm. I remember driving over the Westgate Bridge and having to pay a dollar for a toll. That doesn't happen now. Mm. The Logan Motorway, the Clem 7. You can't drive from Botany now. You'll collect a toll anywhere you go. If you use all the toll roads, it adds up to hundreds and hundreds of dollars a day for some companies, thousands of dollars a day. And then to have these bastards go and stick their bloody hand into your bank account and take it out, and then to discover that they've made a mistake, and then have them say, no, no, we're not giving you your money back. Mm -hmm. And you wonder why people go off their trolley. You wonder why people get caught with number plates that don't match up driving around the tolls. Yep. You wonder why people do things to avoid the tolls. Hmm. Look, it's, un it's just unrealistic to think that businesses can go about without using the toll roads. But why would you continue with eToll if they've got that level of blatant disrespect for their customers? Mm. We're not even their customers, we're their victims. Yeah. They suck our blood. You can sit in a bloody traffic jam on the M7 for hours and hours and hours. You can actually set your watch by it in the afternoon, the traffic jam on the M7, and in the morning. Every day it's the same, day after day after day after day, and they charge full freight every time. Yep. Let's move on before I have a stroke. <laughs> I think it's a bit late for that. The executive director of the South Australian Road Transport Association has said that he fears many operators will go broke unless the federal government restores the fuel tax credit option. I am going to have a stroke now because now I've got to agree with Steve Shearer. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary stuff. I mean, even a broken clock's right twice a day, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. When they went ahead and did this budget the other day and they took off the fuel tax credit system, 
I actually wonder if whoever's running this country financially has got more than the primary school mathematical education. Hmm. Because the net effect of it is, with the fuel tax credits, the difference between the usual excise rate of 44.2 cents a litre and the road user charge for heavy vehicles is 26.4 cents, right? Mm-hmm. So the budget announcement ended up with a net gain of 4.3 cents as a result for truck drivers. Everyone driving cars got the full benefit. It's because it's this reduction in the excises applied to everyone. But truck drivers have received virtually no benefit out of this at all. And on the back of it, you get several companies now who have adjusted their freight rates because of the change in the fuel charges. Mm. So some of them have actually dropped their rates because of the changes in the fuel charges. Yeah. So the rorting continues, the strong arming continues. And the fact is that people will go broke as a result of this sort of thing. Mm. And the worst part about this is this is something that happens overnight without warning, without consultation. You've got no room to manoeuvre. You've got to buy fuel. You don't have a choice. If you don't have fuel, you don't move freight. If you don't move freight, you don't make money. You don't make money. The bank repossesses your truck in your house. Game over. Yep. It's all been done because some f- in the government didn't do the maths. We made a bloody knee-jerk decision. Oh, good God, they haven't been doing that with everything for the last several years. A knee-jerk reaction to try and buy some votes. I'm almost at the point where I am actually ready to vote Labor. That's saying something. Mm. All done? I'm done. <laughs> Didn't want to interrupt. and No, I wasn't yawning. I was just, just trying to get a word in here to I'm sorry, mate. I just get so fired up. Oh, yeah, not so anyone would notice. No one understands. Yeah. Now, don't take any notice. Gary Maran has basically said he'd like to think that they could simplify their understanding. I don't think they could get it any simpler. Mm. Queensland Trucking Association CEO Gary Maran believes it to be a fair call to reduce the road user charge for the road freight industry by 50%. Mm. The same that the Treasurer Josh Feidenberg did with the general motorists at the pumps. But that would take the road user charge down to 13.2 cents a litre which they would then have to reinduce the fuel tax credit of 8.9 cents. Can you see how complicated this is getting? Oh, you lost me ages ago. It should be something simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Mm. You know, the simple fact is the fuel costs money. We pay fuel excise and, and there are fuel tax credits and there are all sorts of little things that go in and everyone's got their little fingers in the whole thing. And I honestly don't think there is anyone except for an accountant that understands it all. I really don't. And some poor bastard who's trying to get out there and, and run his truck and make a quid, pay the bills, pay the mortgage on the house, keep the missus happy, keep a roof over their head, they'll be tearing their hair out. There you go. Now, then we'll just go and slug them 600 bucks for not building in something properly on their logbook. Mm. Makes me want to beat my head against the cement sometimes. It really does. Try and avoid doing that if you can. It reminds me of something I was reading a bit earlier where it said politicians are like sperm. <laughs> About one in one million actually turns into a human in the end. But there you go. Our last story for the week, our mate Lex Forsyth from Janus Electric recently jumped behind the wheel of a Freightliner Coronado that's been fully converted to battery power yep. and towed a 43-tonne load for a 60k run around Gosford. Yep, good on him too. I'm actually looking forward to seeing one of those things. I'm looking forward to getting me bum in a seat and having a crack. Well, you won't hear it. No, you won't hear it, no. <laughs> But it's nice to end the news on a positive story for a change. And I like what Lex has done. I really do. Mm. He's created a system, as we all know, which repurposes the older prime movers. You can repower them, bring them up to date. It's just really quite incredible. Mm. Now, I've never even driven an electric car. So I'm actually tearing at the bit to get hold of one of these things and have a bit of a drive. Mm. Lex says it scares him to think about what we're hearing about hydrogen. Mm. It scares me too. 
I don't understand why we can't just look at something that actually works and see what's going on. If you can repurpose and repower trucks and make them safe, why wouldn't you have a go at it? Mm. By removing all the OEM bits and pieces, then you know, you've know you reduced a lot of the maintenance costs, a lot of things that fail on the side of the road, like turbos and radiators and all that sort of stuff, all the bolt-on bits. They're the bits that fail, and the electric thing removes all that. Mm. The other part about this, what I understand, I've got to talk to Lex about it again, I really do, you can do the conversion probably for a touch more than the cost of a rebuild. Yeah. When we started talking about it, putting AdBlue in that, and everyone's saying, how are you going to get AdBlue? You can't get AdBlue at the pumps. And, mm. Well, you can't get AdBlue at the pumps now because there's not much about. That's still an issue. Yep. But they were saying, how could you get AdBlue? They get it to cart bloody containers of AdBlue with you everywhere. Now there are AdBlue pumps at the service stations. If there are enough battery-powered trucks, why wouldn't there be batteries at the service stations as well? Yep. It's just a matter of changing your thinking and seeing where things are going to go. And I think Lex is on a winner. I really do. All right, mate. Better tidy it up. Thought for the week. Yep. If you drive nice and steady, you can enjoy the scenery. If you drive too fast, you can join the scenery. <laughs> True as that. Mm. True words never spoken. All right, mate. Thank you, mate. I better go and do some more work. Good thing. Someone's got to strike a blow for humanity. Indeed. Yeah. All right, mate, take it easy. Keep it safe. Catch you later. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. G'day, guys. It's Tone from Tone's Trucking Stories here, and you're listening to the On the Road podcast on the Australian Big Rig Road Show. Right, it's time for something to talk about, something to talk about, something to think about. There's a bloke about called Alex Mathers, and he's a writer, and he's penned this thing about men facing major challenges in the navigation of a complicated and modern world. He's saying that there are a number of points to consider. So I read through it, and I thought, oh, I agree with some of this. I don't agree with all of it, but I do agree with some of it. And it's an interesting point of view. He says here, Few of us have had any meaningful male leadership and most of us struggle in the face of brazenly anti-male society these days. So he talks about 11 points where we need to have more control over what we do in our life and how to take more control. To make something of ourselves, we need all the support we can get and regardless of whether you call this support, this bloke claims to be some sort of a life coach and all the rest of it, he says that my highs and deepest lows over 37 years have forced me to collect my own tips and help me to navigate life with strength and energy. These are some of the ideas that he wished he'd known sooner. So I want to read these things out with no judgment from me about whether I agree with each particular point or not. You can make your own mind up whether you do or you don't. He says, you must take responsibility for everything. Society expects men to have a handle on everything. You can't expect anyone to help you when you're down. This is a good thing because it teaches us early that it's all on you. The minute you blame others for your misfortune is the moment you embody the frail figure of a victim and you will make life impossible for yourself. Point two, women will never love you unconditionally. A lot of personal heartache would have been avoided had I first known this. As soon as we signal that we no longer have our shit together, we could lose her, and love will have nothing to do with it. Love relies on many variables being in place, from self-confidence to your access to resources and demonstrating your ability to provide, to holding your emotional frame, 
You are not entitled to her because you both have heartbeats. She is earned, and so are you. Point three, he says, happiness is a choice. Happiness is never conditional on your life being a certain way. You don't suddenly become happy when you reach a particular milestone, thinking this means you are continually chasing and continually unhappy. No, happiness is a decision. Once you make that decision every day, you start a day fresh. Marriage is the most significant risk a man can take today. Think extremely carefully before opening yourself up to potentially huge losses surrounding divorce in the context of a court system that is rigged against men. Many men have lost decades of their lives because they jumped into formal marriage arrangements with little preparation. Get prepared or seek alternatives to formal state-tried contractual marriage agreements. Porn use puts you at a major disadvantage. Porn is not like it was in the 1970s, and he feels sorry for guys who get hooked on it at a young age. He says it's akin to getting addicted to a potent drug. You are losing every day that you continue to open your soul up to the demonic energy of modern pornography. Stop. Go through your withdrawals and return to being a human again. Number six, never take anything personally. A common trend among struggling men is making everything about them. They think this is alpha to get offended over someone seemingly giving them disrespect. I see my past self in them. I see a weak man. wonder what he makes of Will Smith the other day. Instead, approach life with a light-heartedness that acknowledges the ultimate meaninglessness of your ego. This is true strength. Number seven, showing your emotions is not a strength. Crying in front of your partner might be all the rage, but it will lose your respect. There may be a place for it as catharsis in a man's group or in therapy, but not elsewhere. Society doesn't want overly emotional men. It's craving stoic men can rely on their stability. Sure, be human, laugh, smile, be playful, express yourself, but don't release your emotions unnecessarily just because Oprah said it was okay to an applauding crowd. Number eight, being nice is a losing strategy. Many men take on the nice guy strategy to get their way in life, owing to a sense of insecurity they have about themselves. They believe something is wrong with them, thanks society, and they compensate with niceness. Don't go there. Serve, be real, be valuable. Be willing to upset other people if it ultimately serves them. This is to live with honesty and integrity as a man. Point nine, stress is not circumstantial. Men are experiencing stress at massive levels. They are killing themselves in vast numbers each week because of stress. Much of this would be avoided if men realised that stress is internally generated. Managing our thoughts and letting go of rumination is the solution. Point 10. Learn how to make good money quickly. Your happiness and money may not be directly correlated, but you want your foundational income in place as soon as possible. Spending your life stressed out about money will set you back and weaken you physically and mentally. An energised man knows how to enter the marketplace and make money when he needs to. Number 11. Aesthetics matter. The mainstream media will tell us otherwise, but we are lost. How you look and the degree to which you take care of yourself physically significantly affect how others perceive you. Do everything you can to maximise your appearance given the cards you were dealt. Don't rest on your laurels around this. Your appearance requires continual maintenance. And as a final thought, whatever you do, do not allow society to make you feel small or inadequate because of your gender. Just because it's trendy. Never apologise for who you are or what you want. There you go. I'm not sure how much of that I agree with. <laughs> Some of it's a bit out there and seems a bit dated to me. 
But anyway, just something to think about, something to talk about. It's his point of view and more power to him. Stay safe out there. We'll see you on the road. Most of us at one stage or another would have driven past the old dog on the tucker box in Gundagai. Taking us out of the show this week is Andrew Swift. He's an Aussie singer-songwriter who is the official ambassador of the dog on the tucker box. On this song, Andrew is joined by the wonderful Cass Hopeton, who will be joining us herself for a chat and to release her new album in a few weeks' time. In the meantime, from his latest album, The Art of Letting Go, here's Andrew Swift with Say the Word. That's the show for another week. Thanks for coming along for the ride. On the Road is proudly brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving level crossing safety through engineering, innovation and education. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au and NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. Be sure to join us again next week when Mike says... Unbelievable. What a life. Andy says something that doesn't need to be told. And our guest says... If you're happy, I'm happy. Until then, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Talk about.
You could steal my heart away, put out any other flame. If I knew you felt the same, for what it's worth.